Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Well, today we are starting a series that I believe, uh, you know, I was going to not do it, and I felt like the Lord say to do it, you know, and, and the reality is, is that we're talking about uh, e- eternity is real, and uh, what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks is really something that I feel is really, really important for uh, our church, for Canada, for the Church of Jesus Christ. I pray that there'll be folks who hear this message, whose lives are transformed. This series could change your life. And I'm not just being, is hyperbolic a correct word, or hyperbolic or sensational? I'm not just being sensational here. I really believe that the words that we're going to talk about for the next four weeks could change your perspective on your life, because we're talking about eternity. You know, we're talking about how eternity is real, about how eternity actually is real. There is actually a heaven, and there is actually a hell. What we're going to talk about next week, next week we're going to look at the idea of, I call, uh, I don't know if this is a Lord of the Rings term, but Middle Earth. <laughs> We're going to look at the idea about how here we are on earth and how earth, there's something inside every single one of us. There's this hole inside of our heart. And every single person on the planet, even though we feel satisfaction through our jobs or finances or marriage or family, yet there's always something on the inside of us that we feel a sense of dissatisfaction. This sense of something's not right. This sense of confusion or I can't see things clearly. And you got to come back next week because I'm going to help you understand why you feel that way about your life. Even when life is great and going good, you know deep in your heart something is missing. And the reason is you were not created for this planet. You were created to spend an eternity with Christ in Eden. And things went south. And now we live in a world of confusion and a world of frustration. And so we're going to talk next week about what that frustration is. And the reality is, is that it's eternity. Our heart is longing for our true home called heaven. In three weeks, what we're going to talk about is what literally what happens when you die. When you die and you breathe your last breath on this planet... I'm going to walk through with you biblically what the Bible teaches exactly what happens to you when you die. So you don't want to miss it, just in case you plan on dying in the next 70 years. Then you know what's going to happen. So come back. We're going to talk, really, we're going to walk through Scripture. And in that week, we're going to talk about the realities of what heaven and hell look like, what the Bible teaches about heaven and hell. We're going to talk about the realities of those things. On the week four, we're going to talk about what happens when, the earth, when this hole, when the curtain closes on the planet. When the earth comes to an end. Now, I'm not going to, for one moment, try to spend any time developing a position for eschatological understanding. I'm not going to try to say to you, this is when it's going to happen, or that's when it's going to happen. That's up to Jesus. Jesus said even, he says, I don't even know. Only the Father knows. So if you think you know, or you listen to some guy say, well, if you give me $15.99, I'll tell you exactly what's gonna, when the world's going to end. You need to tell him to shut up and go read your Bible. Because the truth is, none of us know when the world's going to come to a close. You can have all sorts of ideas and eschatological positions. And the reality is, during this series, we are not going to try to form a position on that, on when the world will end. All I know is the world will come to an end. And when it does, Jesus Christ will return for his church. Amen. What happens after that? And that's what we're going to talk about in week four. You don't want to miss this series. So if you can't be in the house, I want to encourage you, watch online, because I believe this is going to be something that maybe many of you have never, ever heard taught in church. 
Many of you, maybe, maybe you have heard it taught in church and maybe they were incorrect in their understanding of what it meant. Maybe some people today are teaching in churches today that, you know, hell is, uh, you know, not a real place and that you're annihilated when you die or everybody will maybe go to hell initially, but then they can all make it. It's called universalism, back to heaven. So therefore, hell doesn't exist. Some, you would be shocked at how many pastors and preachers today are teaching the reality of the afterlife of heaven and hell and they don't have a clear, a clear theological, biblical understanding of what the Bible says because the truth is we don't actually like talking about it. We don't like talking about what the scripture says. And so I'm going to sit, if that's okay, I'm going to sit because I just want to have a different position during this series. You'll notice I'll, I'll be sharing some quotes from just some different books. And I want you to know that these are different references, things that I've referred to. And we're going to get into scripture towards the end of our message. So normally we're in the Bible the entire time. We're going to get there. So don't worry if you're waiting for that Bible scripture to pop out. We'll, we'll uh, do it towards the end. But here's the truth. I won't be able to cover all the topics. Topics like, you know, do all dogs go to heaven? I don't know. Uh, I, I like my dog, Via, and I think she might. Um, but all your cats out there definitely are going to hell. So um, I will show you scripture and verse where that is. Uh, in Fourth um, Corinthians chapter, chapter Ryan. Um, so dogs go to heaven. Cats will go to hell. If you're a kitten, you might make it to heaven. But then once you become a cat, you go back to hell. So I wonder how many viewers were like, oh, I'm leaving. There's like 60 cats around her. <laughs> I can't listen to this guy. Oh, boy. On a more serious note, I can't really um, tell you about when a young child dies early whether they go to heaven or not, but I would say that as a, a natural father, I would assume that these, the innocence of this child, they would go to heaven. Now, God is a greater father than I am, so I imagine that may be his position. I can't say that biblically, but I would like to believe that if a young child dies before, you know, in innocence, that the Lord would receive them into heaven. But I'm not spending time over the next four weeks talking about these deep, topical nuances of questions that you and I could sit down over a cup of coffee and talk about for the next decade. The truth is, you know, uh, we don't know. The Bible isn't clear, but we can make some assumptions based upon the nature and character of God, what we might think, and the truth is we really won't know until we get to heaven. And so I'm not going to spend any time trying to identify those. As I mentioned, I'm not going to identify any in-time teaching so if you're here today and you're ready for me to tell you when Christ is going to return, uh, I want you to know that I prophesied last year. He was coming yesterday, so I was wrong. I'm just kidding. For those of you who are new, I did not do that. <laughs> uh, trust me, I didn't. You're like, oh, man, you're going to go back to listen to all my messages. No, we never did that. But I'm just saying, like, we're not going to spend any time on that. Now, the, the truth is this. I, I, I have to tell you things that you're not going to like. I'm going to say things that many of you will not like. You won't like a lot of what I have to say. Now, maybe about the stuff about heaven, but most likely not the stuff about hell. And here's the truth. In order to be accurate, I must be truthful. In order to teach the truth, I cannot soften the Bible's position on hell. And I cannot soften the position uh, of the Bible on heaven. C.S. Lewis one time was listening to a, a preacher preach, uh, and he was teaching on, on the afterlife. And after the, the message, this, or during the message, this, this young preacher got up and his final sentence was, if you do not receive Christ as Savior, you will suffer grave eschatological ramifications. 
And C.S. Lewis walked up to him afterwards and said, hey, um, so like, did you mean that a person doesn't believe in Christ? That they're going to go to hell? And he says, precisely. And he says, then you need to say so. Like you were confusing. You didn't speak clearly. You beat around the bush. Eschatological ramifications, huh? What did he say? I'm not going to pull any punches because... I want you to know that to talk about the realities of heaven and to talk about the realities of hell, it's not a hateful reality, it's a loving reality. And here, a few, uh, uh, Peter Galley wrote a book in, in contrast to Rob Bell's book called Love Wins, meaning that there's no hell, all will go to heaven. And Peter Galley wrote a book called God Wins, and he says this, such teaching makes us feel uncomfortable, and some Christians are so unsure of their standing with God that the mere thought of judgment frightens them. Others are not so much concerned about themselves as for their loved ones who've never put their trust in Christ. How will they avoid hell? Still others think hell and judgment reflect badly on, God's, uh, on God and want to protect his reputation. So it's understandable that we are tempted to soften the Bible's teaching on hell and judgment. I get it, but we cannot. And so there's four positions that I will take. Four things that we won't spend much time talking about but you need to understand are a biblical position. And the first one is this, that heaven and hell are real places. They're not just ideas. They're not just mythological uh, perspectives. They're not just philosophical nuances. They're not just a spiritual reality. No, these are literal places. Heaven and hell are literal places that you and I will go to when we die. The second position is this, that God does not send people to hell. Why would God create a place? Why would God send people to hell if he's so loving? God doesn't send anyone to hell. God creates opportunity after opportunity. Not only through creation does God reveal his glory, but God prods and the Holy Spirit prompts and the Holy Spirit speaks and the gospel message of Jesus Christ continues to permeate the hearts and lives of people. God is, the Bible says that God, God still loved the world that he gave his life for all mankind, all people, every woman, every man of all tribes and all nations, every person can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God does not send people to hell, people make a choice to not serve God. God does not send people to hell. Our choices, the third one on this earth, matter and will impact our future eternity. You need to understand that when you make a personal relationship to follow Jesus Christ, your personal choice to follow Christ is a faith choice. You are now permitted to spend an eternity with Christ, but you need to understand something that the choices that you make on this planet absolutely unequivocally do impact your future eternity. Did you know there are two moments of judgment for all mankind, which will talk about in the fourth week. There is the judgment of faith, meaning do you accept Christ? But there's also a judgment of deeds for the new heaven and the new earth when one day the life that you live, the choices that you make, the things that you do right now on the planet have future implications for your eternity. We'll turn, learn about this in the next few weeks. And lastly, both I mentioned this, both believers and unbelievers will be judged according to their deeds and actions 
when Christ returns. Now, I don't like that just as much as you don't. What do you mean God's going to judge my deed? That's not fair. I thought it wasn't works get into heaven. No, no, no. By faith, you receive eternal salvation. But there is a reward. The Bible teaches us that God looks at every deed that we do on this planet. Ryan, that's not fair. That's not fair. Well, we are the sinners. He is the Savior. He saved us. And every single time you would do a deed on this planet, guess what? He washes you whiter than snow if you repent of your sin. But I need you to know that the life that you live matters in the afterlife. They should change how you live your life. So what we're going to do for the next few minutes is we're just going to look at some, really today, really some misconceptions. And what we're going to look at today are some misconceptions. I, I've been talking about this between the service. I think one of the reasons, and this isn't in my notes, but I believe that one of the reasons uh, that many followers of Jesus today don't think about hell and don't often think about heaven is because we had a, a string of preaching that was hell and brimstone. You better turn or burn. You better fly or you're going to fry. There was this, this brimstone, you know, like, rah, you know, like, you better come to Jesus right now or you're going to be burnt to a crisp. And this idea of this preaching of doom or gloom. So we say, you know what? I don't like that. That's, I mean, even though there, there are some slight truthful nuances to what they're implying, the, the way they've uh, uh, identified it is that God has ticked at you and you better, you better get your life right. He's going to turn that oven on under your feet. And the truth is, is he's a loving God. The truth is he loves you and he cares for you. And so I think that maybe one of the reasons we in our generation have not really talked about it is because there's been a whole lot of bad preaching. There's been a whole lot of people who with good motives who are talking about eternity without the reality of what the Bible teaches. The truth is, is that our message should not be you're going to hell, but hey, you can go to heaven. We shouldn't be, I mean, we talk about hell, but the reality is if we knew about the reality of heaven, you would spend a lot less time talking about the, 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 the darn crazy parts of hell because hell, eternity is in heaven is incredible. So here, here's, the, here's, here's some, some, some misconceptions. You know, the reality is many of us just kind of have assumed that maybe heaven is just like we're on the clouds playing a harp, you know, like all for eternity. But I'm like, Pastor James is going to be like the best harp players, like sitting up there like, what's up, Ryan? You suck, man. I'm like just learning how to play and James is like a master guitar heart player. You know, maybe we're just for eternity sitting in a worship service. Come on, I loved our worship day. Come on, let's give our worship team a hand. I loved it. I loved it. I love all of our worship, amen? Let's just be honest. For eternity, really? We're going to be in this room for eternity singing these songs? Let's, let's just have a moment of honesty. How many of you would want to do this for eternity? Come on, I love it. But after 30 minutes, I'm like, praise God, let's go. I'm not being mean, I'm being honest. I mean, I don't know about you, but even I can go to the Hillsong, you know, Elevation, whatever service thing you like, or maybe it's Maranatha or whatever it is. And you're like, man, I like, I can handle this for about a half hour. And I'm like, okay, let's go have some chicken. You know, it's like, I sit in eternity forever singing songs. And you know, you know, just that sounds ridiculous. You know, the reality is Randy Elkhorn says this in his book, Heaven. He said, I heard a pastor make a startling confession. He said, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. I tried not to show my shock as I asked him why. I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium, he said. To float around in clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp, it's also terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend an eternity in a place like that. 
Where did the Bible-believing, seminary-educated pastor get such a view of heaven? Certainly not from Scripture. There are Christians that have never looked forward to heaven, but have a thought of it as a distant, boring, and even frightening place. John Eldridge, in his book, Journey uh, uh, of Desire, wrote, Nearly every Christian I have spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. We have settled on this, on this image of uh, the never-ending sing-along in the sky. One great hymn after another, forever and ever and ever. Amen. And our heart sinks. Forever and ever? That's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh and feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. And we lose heart. We turn once more to the present to find what life that we can. He say, man, eternity doesn't sound very exciting. I don't really like this. You know what? I'm going to squeeze as much as I can out of this. I'm going to get the most out of my marriage and the most out of my job and the most out of my, 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 my fishing. I'm going to get the most out of everything. Why? Because, man, it is going to be boring in eternity. We focus on the present life and we forget about the afterlife. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a far side comic. I, I love far side comics. They're old, but look at this guy on this cloud. It says, I wish I brought a magazine. <laughs> How about this one here? The top one says, welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. Look at the girl with the halo. She got her harp down below. Welcome to hell. Here's your accordion. <laughs> <laughs> This idea, we're just floating around in a cloud, you know, playing a, playing a harp. Mark Twain. Mark Twain uh, was a very spiritual individual, and he was on the journey to figure out about heaven and hell. And, and he, he wrote, actually, all throughout his book, Huckleberry Finn would write about, uh, about heaven and the idea of heaven. And, and Miss Watson was talking to Huckleberry Finn, and they were talking about heaven, and he was talking about the good place. Now, that's a, a show on Netflix, and you know it's, it's definitely a, a funny show, but absolutely inaccurate reality to what's really happening in the world today. But we have Huckleberry Finn, and Miss Watson's talking to, to, to Huck Finn about this, and this is what she said. She said, all a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever, so I didn't think much of it. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be there together. Now, he, he's, he's writing about the idea of heaven and wondering to himself, well, it doesn't sound that exciting. Later on, uh, he wrote in uh, his, his autobiography, uh, he wrote this about his life, Mark Twain. The burden of pain and care and misery grows heavier year by year. At length, ambition is dead, pride is dead, vanity is dead, longing for release is in their place. It comes at last, the only unpoisoned gift ever had for them, and they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence, where they achieved nothing, where they were a mistake and a failure and foolishness. Unfortunately, Mark Twain accepted the misconceptions about eternity. He realized that at the end of our lives, once we feel that our family and our children and our church and our life and our education and all the things that we, we come to the very end of our life and realize that this life was just a mist, it was just a moment, it didn't have as much value as I thought that it had, and now I'm about to start my real life. We see these misconceptions of heaven can 
cause us to forget that there is a eternity. And Thomas Howard wrote in his book, Christ the Tiger, he said, the problem is not doubt so much as dullness, not disbelief, but disinterest. Most of us are not unbelievers. We are ready to believe almost anything that turns us on. In fact, we are, we are far too credulous. But heaven will not turn us. Uh, 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 sorry, but heaven will not turn us on if our our head's picture of heaven does not meet our heart's needs. The popular head picture of heaven is one of changeless perfections. Some, sometimes an imagery of harps and halos and clouds. Sometimes an imageless concept of abstract spirituality. That may be heaven for angels, but it's more like hell for humans. Let me see the idea of hell. Hell itself has so many misconceptions that I don't know if you talk to people that said, man, it's just a big party. I can't wait to get there. The devil's the best bartender in the world. Have you ever had his martini? Man, this guy's going to get down there. We're going to party, man. Every time I go out on the weekend, I party. This is what hell's going to be like. I can't wait to get there. Forget about that God environment. I want to be in hell, baby. And hell becomes a party. Hell becomes something that we look forward to. We think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm going to be out there with my homies and my friends. And the reality is that is absolutely not the truth. Some believers believe that Satan is in charge. Look at this Looney Tunes. Here's the devil with a book, the book of bad people. (laughs) And he's looking down on this Looney Tune character as though he's in charge. Do you know the devil's not in charge of anything? Do you actually believe that the devil has reign in hell? No, the devil's tortured in hell. The only reign and king we have is Jesus. And yet there is this understanding that we'll be in hell and Satan's going to be poking us and prodding us. No, the devil gets tortured as well. We have to understand that the devil is not the king. Jesus is the king. Where does this idea of Satan being the master of hell come from? It's not in the Bible. Never has been in the Bible. Some believe that that Satan is in charge, and a lot of this has come from back in 1320 by uh, by Dante Algieri's Dante's uh, Divine Comedy. This book and this this poem has has actually really manifested itself throughout centuries to become our narrative, our modern Western understanding of what we believe hell to look like. And most of it came from this idea of this, this place of art and literacy pieces. Dan Brown's Inferno, the book Inferno, gathered this idea of, of Satan being one of who is in charge in hell. And his, his poem describes this descent into, into this underworld of hell where, as you see, the devil at the very bottom, this is, uh, this is uh, Dante. And here we at the very bottom, there's the devil conquering over all the realities of hell. And if you zoom in, you see torturous realities and things happening like this. And this map by Bocelli was, was how many Christians today believe that hell exists, what the hell of reality is, that Satan is down there ruling and reigning in hell. The reality is, is that Dante's divine comedy and Bocelli's picture here was, was really taken from, from, uh, from amalgamation of myth and Catholic ideas such as purgatory in Islamic traditions about Muhammad's uh, night of ascension. In fact, this medieval view of hell is influenced more by the Quran of Islam than it is the Bible for Christians. I want you to hear me. Christians have accepted a view of hell that has come more from the Quran than from the Bible. 
We live in a world today that does not understand the reality and the devil wants us to think that we're going to have a good old time and we ask ourselves, where does all this come from? Why do we... Now, I know one of the reasons is we rarely talk about the realities of heaven and hell in church. I'll say that. And that's, you know, this is our second time doing this series in six years. Maybe I need to do it more often. The reality is, is that eternity becomes so disconnected from our, our current reality. You say, Ryan, why, why, why has it happened? Why, why have we drifted away from the realities of heaven and hell? Why have we stepped away from this? The reality is, is, is that our North American culture has drifted away from tradition. Did you know that 220, a 221 poll, 2021 poll found 51% of Canadians think there's a heaven. So how, half the population think there's not a heaven, while fewer than a third acknowledge hell. And this is with people who believe in God or Protestant Christians included in that survey. We've got 50% of our Canadian population that don't believe in heaven and even fewer believe in hell. We've abandoned our traditions. We've abandoned the idea that this generation that's been going on for millennia, that has been carried from generation to generation, generations before us, their, their North Star was the fact that there was an afterlife, that there was a heaven, and that there was a hell. It guided their daily choices and guided their daily decisions. And now in North America, all we've done is been lulled into a sleep to think that life is about what we see and hear in the present. We see in the eclipse of heaven, theology professor A.J. Conveyor says this, even to one without religious commitment and theological convictions, it should be an unsettling thought that this world is attempting to chart its way through some of the most perilous waters in history, having now decided to ignore what was for a nearly a millennia its fixed point or reference its North Star. The certainty of judgment, the longing for heaven, the dread of hell, these are not prominent considerations in our modern discourse about the important matters of life, but they used to be. They once were. We now died to this because of the American dream or the Canadian dream or the present reality of North American Christianity has made it about our experience right here and now. And we have lost the reality of tradition and the generational millennial reality that heaven and hell is our North Star and our walk with God to know no matter what I face on this planet, I do not live for this life. I was created for eternity. Peter Cleff said this in his book, heaven, millions all around us are living tragedy of meaningless life. That is what makes our society most radically different from every other society in history. Not that it can fly to the moon or enfranchise more voters or have the grossest national product or conquer disease or even blow up the entire planet, but that it does not know why it exists. Every society prior to ours gave its members answers to these three questions. What can I know? And what should I do? And what may I hope? And it translated the teaching of its sages and saints and mystics and gurus and philosophers or God through tradition. For the first time in history, society no longer regards tradition as sacred. In fact, it no longer regards it at all. And we are the first tree that has uprooted itself from the universal soil. And if we are to find the answer to the questions for what may I hope, we must 
must find the answer individually. Our society, society simply doesn't know. And the only sound we hear from our noisy society concerning the most important questions in the world is the sound of silence. So you say, okay, Ryan, why are you doing this series? Because I want to bring to your attention the reality that you and I have a, forsaken a tradition that has been a part of the Christian experience for most, so many years that I don't live for this planet. So Ryan, why is this happening? Why is this such a reality right now? Why is this not part of our life, our daily walk? Why do we not think more about this reality? Well, I believe there is an enemy who is out to kill, still, and destroy. And I believe without question, it has been a strategy of the devil not to convince you there's no heaven or hell, but to convince you that you don't want to go to heaven. To convince you that there's, this is the life you're supposed to live. That don't worry about the afterlife. Trust me, it's boring. This is what you're supposed to live for. If he can just get our lives off track, he'll eventually get our souls. Look what he said about the devil. Jesus said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Did you know that one of the greatest lies the devil tells to, his, his, to the believers specifically is that it's, he lies about heaven. Look what it says in Revelations 13.6. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is who dwell in heaven. So here we see that Satan is slandering not only God's person, not only God's people, but he's slandering God's dwelling. He's slandering heaven. Why would the devil do that? Because he was kicked out of heaven. Did you know that Satan was created by Jesus? He was created by God. And did you know the Bible teaches us that Satan was in fact, was perfect in all his ways, that he was actually created to be a cherubim, a high guardian, almost considered a royal angel who was considered to have been the one who would stand between the, 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 the people worshiping and the very presence of the living God. This angel, Satan, Lucifer, was the one who would guard. He was a royal cherubim who would make sure that there was nothing entering the very righteous presence of God. He was a guardian. And one day, as all of the angels worshiped the Most High, God, he stood and he said, oh, I would like this. And sin entered his heart. And guess what? He was kicked out of heaven. And then he was kicked out of the garden. Don't you think the devil's ticked that God created you to take his place? God created you to be in Eden. God created you to be in his presence. God created you to have a relationship with him that was once reserved for Lucifer. And now the devil's ticked. And he's thinking to himself, I know I can't harm their bodies. I know that if I, if I kill them, they're just going to go to heaven and be with Jesus. So the best thing I can do is I can attack the reality of the afterlife so they never think about it once in their life, ever, until they die. And they think, whoa. Yeah, yeah, so See, the devil's a liar. What better way for the devil to attack us than to whisper lies about the very place in which God tells us. Isaiah 14 says this, how you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning, talking about Lucifer. 
You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroy the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars, and I will preside on the mountain of God far away in the north, and I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the Most High. He fell from where? Heaven. Where was the serpent in the garden when God created a perfect euphoric reality for you and I? What, what did the devil do? He tempted humans. Why? Because he wanted them to get kicked out like he was kicked out. And now this is his, one of his greatest strategies and he's going to pick on me this week for saying this. He's trying to get you asleep. He's trying to get you to think that this life is all that matters. Satan doesn't need to convince us that hell and heaven and hell don't exist. He just needs to get us in a place where we think it's boring and an earthly existence that's not to be desired. Now, Paul wrote about this. Paul wrote several scriptures and what he was trying to do is he was trying to come to, to the people of God and say, listen, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is why I'm preaching this series right here. He says, guys, you gotta wake up. You got to shake out of your spiritual doldrum. Do not be lulled by the lies of the devil that this life is more important than that life. In fact, look what Paul says, 2 Thessalonians. He says, so then brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings and traditions that we passed on to you, whether by my word, my mouth, or by my letter. Look what he says. He continues in chapter 5, verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. And when people are saying everything's peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and the light. So look at this. Be on guard. He says, wake up. Do not go to sleep like the others. Stay alert. Be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when Christ returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other. That's what I'm doing. And build each other up. That's what I'm trying to do. Just as you are already doing. Doing. This word here, sleep, this is the, the, the Greek word is hypnos. Say hypnos. It's the same root word where we get our English word hypnosis. He says, be on your guard, wake up. Don't be in a hypnotic state like everybody else. Now, there is something happening in Canada. There is something happening in the United States. God is trying to wake up his church. He's doing it through colleges in Ashbury. He's moving across other colleges now. God's on a mighty move. And I don't want to be left asleep thinking, my life, this is all it's about. About fly fishing, about my family, about my home, about my pleasure, about what I want, and this thing, and my happiness, and my success, and my fortune, and my future. And I look up and realize I missed the opportunity to live this life for the life that's to come. Be on guard. Wake up. Don't be hypnotized by the enemy. 
Don't be hypnotized by culture. Don't be hypnotized by TV. Don't be hypnotized by the movies. Don't be hypnotized by false teachers and prophets. Don't be hypnotized. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Look what he says in Romans chapter 13. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. Wake up! For our salvation is near. And when we first believe, the right, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty cloths and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling or in jealousy. Instead, say instead. instead. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Come on, we are not, he says, come on, wake up, sailor, do not live for yourself. Die to your way of thinking. Die to your way of doing things. Why? Because what you do on this planet matters in eternity. How you handle your life, the decisions that you make, the things that you do matter. They matter. Wake up. Stop being a fake Christian. Wake up. Stop just going through the motions. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Some of you are hypnotized in this room by the temptations of darkness or sin in your life or by another way of living or another way of doing things. Today, I'm here to snap you out of the hypnosis that's on your mind. Wake up, people of God. We got to wake up. God is on the move in our city. God is on the move in our church. And I want to say to you today, don't get left behind because we have not put off the things of this world. There's a reason why I'm doing this series. Because there's actually nothing more important for us to realize than that there is a heaven and a hell. And the truth is this, every person in this room listen to me and online, you could die tomorrow. We have no promises for our lives. So your future retirement program and those things, I got it too. But listen, we don't know what the Lord has in store. So we're here today to be reminded that eternity is real. What does Paul say as I end, I end today? Colossians 3, this is what Paul said. So since you've been raised to life, new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Christ is seated in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Did you see that? Think about, or Ryan, I don't know what heaven's about. That's what I'm going to do. We're going to look at it together so that you can put your eyes on there and say, okay, I, I, one day I'm going to go to the place where there's no weeping and there's no tears and there's no shame and there's no guilt and there's rest and there's freedom. That day is coming, but until that day comes, I'm not going to set my sights on earthly things. I'm going to keep my sights set on earth and heaven. He says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ. Say real life. Let me say it again. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, guess what? You're going to share in his glory. Eternity is real. Eternity is real. And this is what we're going to talk about next week. God created you 
He created your heart with a little hole about this big. I don't know how big it is. <laughs> you should probably see a doctor if you have a hole that big in your heart. Your spiritual, your spiritual heart. He put a place for eternity. This is why so many Christians are wandering around like zombies because you've tried to fill your heart with not eternity, with present reality. And so what we're going to talk about next week is this underbelly of frustration that's in people that I see all day long and how we can shift that frustration. We can change it. We can shift it. God tells us how to get our hearts set in the right place so you can be an experience, not only an abundant life, a life that God intended for you, but even when life hits you hard, your heart is still set on the right thing, the realities of heaven. And we're going to believe over this series, God's going to change your life, change your perspective, and change your heart. Amen. Just stand to your feet. At the end of our time here today, we're going to offer prayer for anyone in the room who just needs some prayer. You need some support. You need some encouragement. Our prayer team is going to be ready for you at the end. We'll just play some music and you're welcome to receive anything we can carry with you and pray for you on. Please, please, please let us pray for you today. Come on, would you do me a favor? Would you just put your hands out right in front of you like you're going to receive a gift today? The Bible says that the Father wants to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does, He helps us bring revelation and wisdom and understanding and grace and love and peace. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come right now. We're available. We say, Lord, would you come and just, Lord, convict us even in our own lives where we've allowed the present world to be more important than eternity. Areas where maybe we've created idols in our life, God, that you're saying today, okay, you need to open your hand and let go. Put your sights back on heaven. I'll take care of earth if you put your heart on heaven. I just pray today, God, for those who are struggling, those in the room who don't know you, those in the room watching, I pray today that they would make a confession of faith. They'd say, Jesus, I want you in my life. It's simple as that. To confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, we pray for those in the room who don't know you, want to rededicate their life to you online and in the room. God, we today, right now, say, Jesus, come into my heart. We create space for you. We say, Lord, we want to spend an eternity with you forever. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, 